0: Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. Science. We love science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee.
1: I'm Dr. Jacob Priest out of the University of Iowa.
0: I'm Dr. Sarah Woods out of UT
2: Southwestern. So
0: this is our last podcast of season one. What? Can't we're, I know. I can't believe we're here already. Time flies when you're having fun.
1: Um, we- Have we been renewed for a second season?
0: by ourselves
1: yes we renewed ourselves
0: (laughs) yay even if no one listens we'll still do it for us but i wanted to shout out a big thank you to all our loyal listeners who've stuck with us through this entire season as we refine and improve our podcast and we will bring more of that goodness to you in season two starting in august we'll talk about this specific date later on but in the meantime if you have any specific topics you'd love us to cover in season two just send them in we would love to work on making that happen for you but let's talk about today's episode so today as always Jacob is going to bring us something in pop and culture no idea what that is we'll all find out very soon (laughs) then in the academic deep dive segment we're going to discuss an academic article the scent of a good night's sleep You guys, this is a wild article, and I am here for it. And then in Good or Bad Advice, we're going to discuss some quotes from one of the shows we all love, uh, quotes about advice for love. Um, and life. Yes, we're closing out our season with an epic Shit's Creek Quotathon. I'm very excited about yes. it. Yes! I spent a lot of time curating the quotes that I want us to talk about, so I'm very excited about that. For next season, if you have any advice or anything you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can leave us a message at 865-229-6775, email at us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com, or get us on all of the social medias at Attached Podcast Or just simply go to Attachedpodcast.com You can leave us a message there You can also check out Our merch page Please buy some merch All of the proceeds Go to us <laughs> 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 To help us keep this thing going Are we going uh, to really go to our to producer
1: or And our editor We're donating it We're donating We're it donating to our
0: producer And our editor <laughs> Also please consider Becoming a patron Go to patreon.com Backslash attached podcast before we get to all of this goodness for the final episode of season one um how are you guys doing
1: we're doing all right here in iowa we can't i don't know if this has been similar to what you've been going through sarah with your remodel but we can't leave anything unchanged (laughs) right so initially we were just going to do the uh countertop counter yes. of our kitchen and a backsplash. But now we're going yes. to change out all the poles. Now we're going to add a new light <laughs> fixture in. Awesome. Um, I think we're going to do a little bit of touch-up paint. We've added new outlets. It's, It's at the end of it, it's going to be awesome. much, it's going to be much better and it's needed, but it was just like, oh yeah, this is what we're going to do. I think contractors know this and then they kind of sneak things in like, oh, well, you know, you should do this. Oh yeah, we definitely should do this. <laughs> you know, what's another $300 when you're already spending lots and lots or of are money? Or they just,
2: they just find Ducker and they like just <laughs> dive right in. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's... Not, it's not happening in this end. Just to <laughs> be clear, <laughs> oh Jacob, I think no. it's just you guys. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: that's well, we're also just like, oh no, we want this. Oh, we want this different. Yeah, yeah, we want to change this. I mean, it's gonna be great, yeah, and we're absolutely. really excited. And it's like a graduation slash tenure present for Chelsea and I. So we're having fun with it. It'll be really yeah. nice when it's all done because not having a kitchen sink is difficult. <laughs> Washing dishes <laughs> in the bathtub is not oh. fun.
2: oh my goodness that is dedication to remodeling yeah testing the strength of your marriage in that first year really going for (laughs) it
1: (laughs) and then right after that we have a child you know it's just like yay but other than that we're just we're just you know enjoying the beautiful iowa sunshine
2: there's no sunshine up there (laughs) (laughs)
1: looking listen watch listening are you referring to corn yeah, like it, the corn growing and crackling. Oh, I don't God. think corn crackles unless you... Play.
2: Nope, it sure doesn't. Wow, really selling it, really mm-hmm. selling it. Woods. Yeah, an academic oh. located amongst farmers is not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> a farmer. Woods? We are doing well today is... Mm, my 20th anniversary with oh my, my gosh. husband. Woo! Yeah, Woo! I feel like that gives me some street cred to be talking about relationships because of my N of one marriage. For an N of 20 years. 20 years, that's right. And in qualitative research, ends of one matter. So. I feel like that was low-key shade to qualitative research. <laughs> Nuh-uh. No, I mean, like, everyone's experience is rich with all kinds of stories that can inform us. So, yeah, that has been a nice, fun milestone to hit in the year 2020 to be together for 20 years. Oh, how clever. I love it. Yeah. And on the 20th. Wow. We told Charlotte we did that on purpose. No, we did not. Obviously, because that would be totally bananas. Yeah,
0: especially planning that as like
2: 16-year-olds. Yeah, Yeah, right. Real, real unhealthy. (laughs) Real overcommitment at a young age, which is probably what we did anyways.
1: So how do you, what defines the actual day of the beginning of your relationship? Because Chelsea and I go back and forth about this all the time. We have the day where we first met on Tinder. We have the day where Ah. we first met up in person which I consider Mm. our first date. And then we have the day that she considers our first date that is like the day our relationship started.
2: Ah, so this is... We did not meet on... Tinder did not exist. <laughs> Phones that swiped did not exist. So this is the day that we got together. We've known each other since seventh grade, so that would be a lot more years if we were to count when we first met in seventh grade, which we would not because we were... We did not get along at that time. And... But was, this was like a formal, like, will you yep. be my girlfriend? Yep. Yes, I That's will. That's right. See, oh, wow. things. Yeah. Because
0: yeah, that makes sense because when you're that age, yes. things... Become a right. lot more formal, right? I could it's very not concrete tell you the time when we started dating. Like we just started hanging out, and then like in groups of friends, and then like sure we started we went on like on a we were hanging out with groups of friends, but then we like decided to go to a restaurant on our own before everybody got there. And so like that was us being alone for a little while. Like it's a very non definitive thing. And then we like right. moved in together and got married and happily ever
2: after. But that's I, how that works, right? Happily, yeah. ever after.
1: happily
0: ever after. Once like you
2: share an address. But I yeah, also the, um... consistently
0: forget our wedding anniversary. So <laughs> pretty, it's either it's either like the day after or the day before Cinco de Mayo.
2: Oh. You just split the average, split just, the difference. Just say it's
1: Cinco de Mayo. I would just <laughs> just be like, yeah, I'm we got pretty sure on it's the day mayo. after.
2: Yeah, we we had those experiences also where we hung out in groups of friends. Granted, we were 16, so that makes sense. <laughs> but I just, I didn't like want to wait to, like, what is it, DTR? Is mm-hmm. that what the kids yeah, do? Kids still call their, it that?
0: Define the relationship. Uh,
2: right. I didn't want to wait. So I, I had to wait. I I had to wait past prom because I had a different prom date and my dad made Whoa. me promise not to treat him like he didn't matter. <laughs> so I had <laughs> had to wait until after that to hopefully that guy doesn't now i i'm sure he doesn't (laughs) but but also my dad wasn't wrong it was you know it was important to to treat that person like he mattered and then he and then he didn't that's not a really good way to say it either (laughs) is it but then yeah so 20 years i love it congratulations thanks
0: First up, pop and culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and family. But as you guys know, and our listeners know, a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For the first segment of the show, we like to take a moment to highlight events in pop cultures, TVs, movies, what have you, that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. Jacob, what do you have for us this week?
1: So have any of you watched the show Single Parents on ABC?
0: It's a comedy. I think I've seen a couple of episodes. Yeah.
1: So this was something that (laughs) Chelsea actually started. Go ahead, Sarah.
2: He he didn't even wait for my answer, just, (laughs) just to be clear. (laughs) <laughs> I have not seen it Just to answer your question, go on <laughs> I mean,
1: uh, this is like a patterned behavior I, I just know right. what the answer is going to be So I just, I asked Patricia Like, <laughs> you know If it's outside have of Frozen 1 or Frozen yeah. 2 I expect hey, you Whoa, have-
2: <laughs> again Whoa <laughs> We're watching a lot of Office Shot It's fine. fired.
1: <laughs> so this is a show that Chelsea loves. I haven't watched it as consistently as she has, but it's just kind of a really fun show that talks about different relationships and parenting and all that kind of stuff.
0: Taryn Killam is in it, right? Yes. From SNL. Yeah, he's really yep. funny.
1: Yeah, he's a funny dude. Anyway, the most recent episode we watched, which I really enjoyed, was each of these single parents.
0: Oh, I'm a single parent. Oh, I'm a single parent. <laughs> oh, i a single parent. Oh,
1: Put your hands up. (laughs) They were recounting the story of their kid's birth. Right. So they were talking about where they were, how they experienced it, what it meant for them, how it meant, what it meant for their relationships. And the main character, who is played by the guy from SNL, ends up creating this false narrative about the birth of his daughter because he, spoiler alert, wasn't actually there. And so he has tried to, like, create this narrative that kind of fits his idea of who he is as a dad rather than just what had actually happened. And while it's really funny and really heartfelt, I thought the principle that illustrated behind it is a really important one for relationships. When we have big events... In relationships, whether that be a birth of the child, a marriage, other significant events that happen. Those are how those are the events that we typically construct narratives around. And when we do that, we often use those narratives to reflect how we see those people who are important to us. And so I think it's it's necessary and really helpful in relationships. If when we are constructing these narratives, we do it pretty intentionally. Oftentimes yeah. we can construct pretty negative narratives about ourselves and about the events that have happened. And if we do that and we see only those negative experiences, we are going to start to color our relationships that way until those narratives become so solidified that to change that narrative or to change the interaction in the relationships becomes very difficult. But in any relationship and in any story in any relationship, there is a lot of other threads or other events that happen in there that can be just as meaningful and just as important. So even though the event may have not gone the way you wanted to it, the way you construct the narrative around that event can really help provide resilience and a foundation yeah. for any relationship. So that uh, that's not to say that, you know, like if, somebody did something really harmful that you should excuse them by just painting them with rose-colored glasses.
0: Right. that, That could be considered toxic positivity, right?
1: Yes, toxic positivity. But understanding the complexity of experiences and the lack of complexity that sometimes our narratives of those experiences have and potentially adding that complexity, I think can really be a way to build a more open, a more solid foundation for any relationship. And there's pretty good evidence to back that up. You know, John Gottman, who's who's done a lot of work on couples, talks about how the way people discuss their story of meeting their partner Reflects whether or not they'll be together in a few years So I think that Being intentional about how you construct Narratives and understanding the nuance And complexity of those important stories In our relationships is a way To help better your relationship
0: Yeah, and isn't there an entire Branch of family therapy that is Kind of centered on this?
1: Yeah, so It was called Narrative Family Therapy Developed by Michael White And Jeffrey Epstein out of Australia, New Zealand, I think, and they do A lot of great work around how we construct narratives, what those narratives mean, and how we can use language to change those narratives.
0: Yeah, which I always think is very powerful, how in narrative therapy you can rework that narrative and it really helps change your affect and improve your mental health and can improve your relationship with with your partner as well. Yeah. Now we're going to move to the academic deep dive segment and talk about an article titled... The Scent of a Good Night's Sleep, Olfactory Cues of Romantic Partner Improved Sleep Efficiency, written by Marlies Hoffer and Dr. Francis Chen from the University of British Columbia, recently published in the Journal of Psychological Science. These authors explored how the smell of a loved one may affect your sleep. You guys, so excited. So why did they do that? Well, the authors point out that the scent of another person is, quote, emotionally evocative. In other words, when we smell someone we love, it may make us feel comfortable, safe, less stressed, turned on, or even afraid. Prior research actually shows that social scents affect physiological processes in our body, like heart rate, hormone secretion, and sweating. And these researchers point out our emotional attachments to smell starts early in life babies are soothed by and actually turn their heads toward their mother's smell in fact i remember when my first child was born one of her first babysitters said do you have like a shirt that you a dirty shirt i can have so i can give it to her if she starts crying i was like okay, okay. <laughs> i don't know if it helped but nevertheless Sorry. Um, I'm not like saying that that is based in science, but it was just something clever that I had never th- thought of before. Anyway, when it comes it seems to like s- it, it is based in science right. based on fair. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it would have cool. comforted her it just she would have sure. turned her face towards it. And I don't know how helpful <laughs> that would have been. But anyway. <laughs> When it comes to sleep, couples tend to report better quality sleep when they're together than when they are apart. But if we have to sleep apart from our loved ones at some point, are there ways that their smell can help us feel soothed and sleep better? Sarah, Mm. please tell us. How did the researchers do this study? Smell and sleep, what did they find? Oh my gosh, this is amazing.
2: So they studied whether sleeping with a shirt previously worn by a romantic partner improves sleep yes so much like your babysitter suggested only this was with romantic couples people in romantic relationships and so they looked at sleep quality in two different ways sleep efficiency which they measured using actual devices worn on the wrist and perceived quality which was participant self-report so they included 155 participants who were in heterosexual long-term relationships romantic relationships they just define long term as three or more months as somebody oh. who just celebrated twenty years, three months feels like kind of feels real weak. Um, <laughs> but they they had you'll get there. Participants, you'll get there. <laughs> they they Ooh, had to so have no chronic. <laughs> they have to have no chronic medical conditions. The ability to smell, no sleep disorders. Right. Well, really interesting, sense. I know, but really interesting inclusion criteria that you'd really have to think through. The average participant was twenty-one. They were mostly female, seventy-five percent, fifty-five percent. Asian and the average length of the relationship was two years they were either paid twenty dollars to participate or forty dollars depending on whether they were the scent donor or the sleeper the sleeper made oh. double the money i know <laughs> so a scent donor is also my new favorite research term <laughs> So scent donors, which is the person in the couple who was providing their smell, had to wash their bedsheets with unscented detergent, which this is all unnecessary information for the birth of takeaways. And also, how freaking fascinating. This is amazing.
0: But it also shows like how clever researchers can be. So and clever. And how like so much clever. detail goes into these these studies, like high quality studies that yeah. maybe people don't usually think or even know about.
2: Yes. And this lead author is a graduate student. I looked amazing. her up i was like this is some cool stuff so just killing it washed so that the scent owners had to wash their bed sheets with unscented detergent shower using unscented soap and then wear a white cotton t-shirt under their clothes for 24 hours they couldn't use any like scented body products or they or rather they also had to avoid odor producing activities the list was concerning exercise sex smoking alcohol eating pungent foods there's a lot of things that i was like oh my gosh those are like body odor producing yeah. i mean i guess like, yeah when sure leave, like
0: when you... a indian restaurant i full on smell the deliciousness afterwards
2: it was just like so all the good things just avoid everything good i guess and then they had to return those shirts within 5 hours of wearing them to the lab that then stored the shirts at negative 20 degrees celsius in freezer bags i know could you imagine that creepy freezer full of t-shirts though <laughs> Oh my God, of disloaded. worn T-shirts. Of worn T-shirts. Of worn T-shirts. Of worn T-shirts. And occasionally you might get one back and be like, what did you do? I mean, what did you do in those last 24 hours? And this one is pungent. So then the sleepers received two identical shirts. One was their partners and one was a control T-shirt. Ooh. Either an unworn, like clean one, or a stranger's T-shirt. Oh. <laughs> so that means you also have sent donors probably that were not necessarily included as participants, or they scrambled them up, I'm not sure how they did it. But so, for four nights, they slept with one shirt over their pillow for two days. So they'd do two days one shirt, and then two days the other shirt. And they would wash their sheets before each new shirt. And they also had to shower with unscented products before bed. They couldn't drink alcohol or caffeine after two, which means if you're drinking alcohol before two, (laughs) maybe you are also more pungent? I'm not sure. (laughs) And then, they had to sleep alone, because the goal was to see how smelling your partner's shirt would affect your sleep when your partner's not there. They had a list of reasons why 25 participants had to be excluded. Again, not relevant for the relationship takeaways, but they included things like they accidentally switched their experimental shirts with their partner, so their pillow ended up covered in their own scent, which (laughs) just... It was just so ridiculous. They smoked when they said they weren't supposed to. They lied about prior drug use. They had broken sleep watches. Like this, it's just research is not easy, my friends. And this list is really makes it clear. So to collect sleep data, they wore what they described as a wrist actigraphy I don't know that word I apologize wrist actigraphy monitor I imagine it once again for I think the second time this season I imagined it as a Fitbit yeah that recorded sleep wake intervals each night via like the motor activity which my Fitbit regularly says that I sleep fine and it's a liar so <laughs> I don't know maybe they oh had my better gosh, quality this reminds me of something
0: completely off topic but not really but you know mm-hmm. I've been having trouble sleeping And so Mm -hmm. my husband this happened like three weeks ago. My husband, I was telling him, like, oh I'm so tired, like I can't it's just so weird. He goes, Oh, I think I diagnosed you. I was like, What? Yes. He was like, Yeah, like you kick in your sleep a lot. I was like, What? Oh. He's like, Yeah, it's been (laughs) happening for like five years or so, but like Oh my gosh. (laughs) You like kick really hard, like thump the the mattress in your sleep he was like i thought maybe it was restless legs but then it was this other thing i don't remember what it was but he said like it's also linked to like not sleeping well and he was like you say you're particularly tired after like you have a really intense night of leg kicking i'm like oh my god five years of (laughs) of data five years
1: even though it's an n of one he's been studying you so you've got (laughs) multiple time points
0: so i told him i was like okay we need to get an excel spreadsheet here and like Figure out the nights that I kick and how I feel in the morning, and this and the other. We haven't done that. Wow, but, like we are full on planning a study, but like, and it was so off the cook- cuff, random. Like, oh, I think I diagnosed you. I was like, what? so I just imagine him because I always go to bed to, to sleep first. I just imagine him next to me in bed with his laptop working, and then like seeing my legs kick, and then just like <laughs> doing a deep dive on like uh, Google trying to <laughs> trying to diagnose me. Anyway, there's a sweetness there, but it totally reminded me of that.
2: I mean, he he waited a lot of years before (laughs) sharing it with you. But it means, I mean, what a a resilient partner, though, to decide, well, I'm just going to survive this (laughs) kicking thing we're going through.
0: (laughs) Well, I asked him, I said, do I wake you up? And he goes like, oh, no, no, no. Like, when I'm asleep, I'm asleep. Like, you never wake me up doing it. But, like, (laughs) when I'm still awake and I hear you, I'm like... (laughs) There was one time I remember about two years ago, he did I think he must have been trying to fall asleep, but he was like, Patricia, Patricia, you're kicking your legs and I was like I woke up and I was like, What? And I did kind of like remember my
2: legs felt weird. Anyway,
0: super anecdotal.
2: So much so much motor activity though. I feel like if these devices are worth their salt, yeah. they would have calculated really poor sleep efficiency. They would
0: have, but they never did. Yeah. Oh uh,
2: I guess I should so, have tied it to my leg. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So they took the time asleep and divided it by the total time in bed to calculate efficiency, and then in the morning they would say, how would you rate your sleep quality overall from last night, and how rested do you feel this morning for that self-report piece? They also captured measures of like perceived stress each day, relationship quality, attachment style, how long they were together, etc. So they could include those factors as control variables that that might affect the sleep as well. So what they found was that the average sleep efficiency was higher on nights when participants slept with their partner's shirt than a control shirt. Wow. Yeah. And that effect that they found was similar in size to the effect that research has found of taking melatonin to improve your sleep. What? Oh yes. My so, melatonin for those of you who don't use or take it is actually just something that our bodies naturally make to help us sleep and it can be affected by lots of things including aging. For example, we can make less melatonin to benefit our sleep as we age and so it's something really homeopathic that maybe your doctor might recommend to help you sleep. I'm not recommending, I'm not your physician listener, but it's really effective. Lots of people use it and the science behind the benefits of melatonin for sleep show the similar effect to sleeping with your partner's t-shirt smell so another thing that your doctor might recommend from here on out
0: no i doubt it
2: (laughs) and they found this link even when they controlled for attachment and relationship length and relationship quality so because my question was right like what if you really don't get along with your partner right. and you find that scent secretly unconsciously very agitating. But Well,
0: and there's a lot of research that suggests that like there's a there's a whole article called Sleeping with the Enemy about like you don't get as good sleep after you the night after you have a big major conflict with your partner. So that there is some correlation between conflict and fighting and sleep mm-hmm. quality. So I'm glad that they controlled for it because it is evident yeah. in the literature.
1: Well, and this sample overall was pretty happy in their relationships, right? Like it wasn't yes, like so a I definitely, sample at all.
2: It wasn't. Nope. It's definitely a limitation is that it, this isn't a clinical sample. These are not people who were showing up for couples therapy or, and they didn't have a sleep disorder. So, but they had better quality sleep as measured with their wrist monitors, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Sleep quality as they self-reported it was not significantly related to sleeping with their partner's shirt until they factored in stress and the weeknight specifically. So the greater the stress, as you can imagine, the lower the sleep quality. But exposure to their partner's shirt seemed to improve quality in the context of that stress. So they also did this really interesting kind of manipulation check, is how I might describe it, that they asked people each night whether they believed they had their partner's shirt on their pillow. And the participants were able to identify their partner scent at 70% accuracy. But believing it was their partner scent didn't predict sleep efficiency. It did predict improvements in self reported sleep quality. So, whether you're conscious of your partner scent being present or not, wow. they find effects. And this other little interesting side note, when they used a stranger scent as a control odor, the effect of the partner scent was less pronounced. So there may be something interesting or odd happening with the strangers, stranger (laughs) smelly pillows.
0: (laughs) Or maybe it's just like another person, like because we're such social creatures.
2: Sure. Sure. I mean, they said when the participants rated that stranger scent as pleasant, it was associated oh, with re- reduced sleep efficiency, so maybe they felt guilty about... Yeah, I don't know. They don't have... They they refused, appropriately so, refused to make any huge conclusions from that, but... I wonder um, if they caused
0: any break
2: <laughs> They did lose a few participants to break during the course of this project, <laughs> but just a few, and I don't think it was because of the frozen t-shirts. So, I mean, sleep hygiene is really important and something I think that were not probably taught well enough growing up or is not necessarily a message that is probably conveyed as well as it could be via like public health, but the behaviors that we take before we go to bed are so important to the quality of our sleep that the use of screens right before bed, exercise right before bed, having televisions in the bedroom, which so many people do, it the, these kinds of things drastically reduce the quality of your sleep. So although these people do not have sleep disorders, it is possible that if you're having trouble sleeping or you're traveling for work or your partner is traveling and you're sleeping alone you might be able to grab something that smells like the person you love and improve some of that quality as well it's just potentially another behavioral twist
0: yeah i wish i would have known that when i was traveling for work
2: yeah percent would have done that you would have done a t-shirt pillow i would have done a Um, full-on t-shirt pillow right maybe deep freeze it before you flew across country and um, no i think i would have just brought the deep freezer (laughs) yes obviously for good reason (laughs) (laughs) We also, for those of us, the listeners who are maybe not partnered, don't have the option to get a stranger's shirt i'm not sure i was going with that i think there's alternatives to like identifying favorite soothing scents yeah that's not what they tested here they definitely tested this social scent this smell of somebody we care about and also that's not always an option for everybody my brother had us play a game he heard on a different podcast he's got some podcast infidelity going on what but i know but it's this like mount rushmore game where you list like your top four of any category and one of the categories we did was smells and so we we went around and like listed so you can't list something that somebody else has listed before you and you have to go around in a circle and so i listed things like rosemary and like lavender and as soon as i thought of these things i was like oh they're so soothing my mom mentioned cookies in several different ways bread (laughs) suddenly very hungry yes right so possible alternative that wasn't tested here but possibly good for sleep hygiene as well woohoo boo yeah finally time for good or bad advice where we talk
0: about pervasive relationship advice we hear relationship advice from parents families and friends we see advice about how to be in relationships from movies and tv shows and we read endless advice spewed at us on social media blogs and all of those top 10 lists But a lot of it just actually isn't good for our relationships. This is the part of the show where we use science to decide if this advice is good. Good or or bad. Or bad. If you have heard some advice that you'd like us to talk about, send it in. You can leave us a message at 865-229-6775. Email us at attachedpodcast.gmail.com or get at us on the social medias at attachedpodcast or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. And while you are on that website and in the realm of the World Wide Web, please like and subscribe to our podcast and share it with all of your loved ones. So, today we are going to talk about quotes from one of our collective favorite TV shows. I'm fairly certain that this is the only television show all three of us actually
1: watch. Oh, I thought you were going to say this is the only other television show that Sarah watches besides Frozen (laughs) 1 and 2. That's not what I was going to say, Uh,
2: but. No, she wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm sorry I don't spend my life in front of Netflix. I've got other shit to do. The Bachelor's
0: on ABC, so network television oh, as well. well. He's one of those network television guys. <laughs> 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 anyway, so today I'm just going to go through a bunch of quotes that characters from Schitt's Creek talked about, alluding to either life advice or love advice. And I want you guys to tell me whether you think it is good or bad advice alternatively you can just tell me how much you love these characters (laughs) i'm just kidding sure bring some science in oh just kidding bring some science in do it okay are you guys ready
1: yes
2: yes
0: okay life lessons this is moira it sounds to me like you two dodged a bacon wrap bullet i'll say it again life is but a strand of happy accidents good or bad advice not so much about the bacon wrap bullet. Heart.
1: so i am going to say good advice only in the context of what i was talking about earlier right because when moira is saying life is but a strand of happy accidents she, i think she's saying in some ways that things are going to happen in our life that are out of our control if we want to make those accidents happy You know, we have to make sure that we are understanding the complexity and nuance of those events. Not every event in our life is going to be happy. I don't necessarily like that word, but I do think we can understand the context, understand the nuance in a way for us to be able to grow our relationships, improve our relationships and not undermine them. So for that reason, I'm going to say good advice. Good
0: advice. Woods.
2: Woods. So it would have been better advice had you done it in her accent. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, I <laughs> I really thought
0: about trying to do it, but I don't think anybody ooh, can do that except for Catherine no.
2: Hara. I agree. I agree. I just would have liked to see you attempt <laughs> it. So I mean, I think it's adorable advice. I think it's I think it's probably bad advice. I think it suggests that maybe we don't have a lot of autonomy mm-hmm. or agency in how we make choices about our relationships and at least applied in the relationship context. I certainly agree with Jacob that we are only in control of so much, but what we are in control of is where we can have some agency in our own lives to make healthy choices, choices that help us feel good and close and connected as much as possible. And therefore, I think there is probably a huge caveat to this that Mm. life includes lots of accidents, but it also can include lots of pieces that are not accidental. That are
0: purposeful. So it sounds like... The understanding these accidents or whatever happens through like a contextualized lens, but also understand that you have agency as a human. Cool. So next parenting advice is from Moira again. And again, a lot of these are going to be from Moira. She just has some epic one-liners. If an airplane safety video has taught me anything, David, it's that a mother puts on her own mask First, Moira Rose, that was from
1: season 3. Uh, the writing in the show good is good or bad so advice. Incre- I mean, I know. it's just so it's incredible, isn't it? I am actually going to say bad advice. And the reason why I'm going to say this is because it's it's assuming that there's always the ability for the parent to put on their masks first. That the parents are going to have to always meet their needs first and then meet their kids' needs. While I do think it is important to that parents take care of themselves and prioritize their health and their ability, sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes they're gonna have to put their kids' mask on first and then put theirs on. So for that reason, I'm going to say bad advice.
0: Okay, bad advice. Sarah? Oh, I'm going to say good advice.
2: <laughs> um, I th- Next season, I go second. I think- Next season, I go second. <laughs> I think like that would affect my performance, please. I think this is something actually I say to moms. Yeah. And I also say to healthcare professionals, mental health providers that I work with, physicians, etc. that if you are not doing well yourself, there is loads and loads Loads of science to suggest that it affects your ability to care for others, whether that is in caregiving relationships that involve taking care of someone who's sick or disabled or older, involves taking care of kids, involves taking care of patients, client, there is so much overwhelming volumes of research to suggest that if you are not well yourself first and you do not put the mask on you to take care of you, you will be undermined entirely in your ability to care for other people and also that caregiving experience will work Wear on you so quickly. So I say, good advice. So good advice,
0: perhaps. Knowing that sometimes you might have to sacrifice a little bit. Actually, Jacob, I love you so much, but I'm actually not going to validate yours this time. I think it's good advice. <laughs>
1: <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. No, I I appreciate the disagreement.
0: <laughs> but you're
2: yeah, you're, I'm you're the only your one.
1: Uh, I'm, not, I'm the science. only one that's not a parent currently, so <laughs> talk to me um, in a in a few months.
2: Yeah, we're gonna send you a bunch of minutes. yeah, not. And 95s, that's not right. Other kinds. I'll make you some homemade ones. Self-care.
1: This
0: one's about unrealistic expectations. Patrick says it. David, you have to stop watching Notting Hill. It is not helpful for our relationship. This was season five, The Hike. Good or bad advice, Jacob?
1: I'm saying bad advice. And the reason why I'm saying bad advice is because (laughs) there is evidence to suggest that couples who watch romantic films together and then engage in conversations that can be applied to their relationships can improve their marital quality. So David or Patrick should not be telling David to stop watching Notting Hill. He should engage in the process and learn to have conversations around the relationship with Notting Hill.
0: And I'm going to concur that there is actually a relationship intervention where you watch movies. I don't think it has to be romantic movies, but movies where a couple does remain together throughout it. And there's evidence that talking very specific questions about your relationship as it relates to the movie afterwards does improve relationship quality quality at similar rates as couples therapy there has been i believe one study that was not has not yet been replicated about that but yes i agree i remember that study and it was really really fascinating so bad advice Woods, good or bad advice?
2: Yeah, it's definitely good advice. It is, <laughs> you like I left open door there? No, I did not. <laughs> no, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it's so sweet in the context of their relationship that he's describing that David has such like enormous, unreasonable expectations for how life can look and it's not, it's not helpful for them. <laughs> and I think this is the episode, spoiler alert for those who haven't watched season five, but then who are you? This is where he proposes, right, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of like build up and like chaos oh, just a little bit of chaos that happens it's really Adorable. sweet but I think it's it's good advice because I think there is also research that suggests that it's really important to have reasonable expectations but that your expectations are also like clearly communicated with your partner I think that's part of are, are you playing on the, the same page and do you all have clear understandings of what you hope for especially if you are deciding whether or not to kind of partner for life and I think having those expectations be inflated and in a formed by romantic comedies is not always the healthiest way to start a relationship, despite Jacob really trying to dig in here and retain his pop culture segment for season two. <laughs> 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 I think... That may be not entirely good advice.
0: So what I'm hearing, which is interesting that you guys are both supporting both of your cases with research, which I think is just the power of research, you guys. And and what I also love about this quote is I feel like it's the crooks of our podcast as well. But, you know, allowing these like images that we see in, in, in television to completely and only inform how we want to be in a relationship can be problematic. But interestingly, we can use these this visual media as tools to actually help improve our relationships as well so there so are you advocating
1: that that you both should start watching reality television is that what you're saying
0: no i think we get enough of it from you i think we get like <laughs> the take homes good enough from you but thank you so here's some life advice do you remember what goldie hahn told us at the Amfar dinner you are the life you accept for yourself Those are Goldie's words, or someone said it to her in India, or perhaps she read it. In any case, it has always stayed with me. That was Moira, season two, Moira versus Town Council. You, so basically, you are the life you accept for yourself. Good or bad advice?
1: I'm going to say bad advice, because I really don't know what she's getting at when she's saying that. You are the life you accept for yourself? I, that, I don't even know what that means, but... I would say, you know, going back to those happy accidents, there are things in our lives that we can't control, and sure, sometimes we may be able to control our response to them, but other things we may not have any control over, Mm -hmm. and we have to accept some of those things, whether we want to or not. If you're saying, like, oh, I can just accept what I want and what I don't want to have happen in my life it comes from a really big place of privilege and also is probably not realistic for that for that reason i'm going to say bad advice
2: woods oh no i'm going to say good advice <laughs> because i think for the i think the flip side of what jacob's saying is that there are there are parts of a, Our lives and our relationships that we may need to accept and can't change, but I don't think that that's contrary to what she's saying. She's saying you are the life you accept for yourself, and I think that's true whether or not it's something we want to accept. There is a small part of the evidence-based treatment mental health approach called dialectical behavior therapy, Mm -hmm. which is really has a lot of good um, scientific support for the treatment of some of our most challenging, intractable mental health issues that really affect the functioning of the people who live with these. and part of that is to reflect on what is known in spiritual communities as a serenity prayer, but does not need to be used religiously, this idea that we need to focus on accepting the things we can't change, but also have courage to change the things we can and then the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, interesting. And that's what I hear in this advice that I use that reflection often with with patients that I'm working with, with trainees that I am training that and in that way that's what I hear what she's what she's describing. Uh, although it's done very dramatically, and from uh, Goldie <laughs> on or somebody else, perhaps you're the life you accept for yourself. But that also involves having the wisdom or the ability to reflect on: Is this something I can accept, or is this something that I can change about me or the person I'm related to?
0: So I think what you both are kind of getting at is the the context surrounding not just the specific, but the quote, but the meaning that we attribute to this quote, um, which is often part of quotes right like the underlying meaning behind it so sexual orientation this is david do you drink red wine but i also drink white wine and i've been known to sample the occasional rosé And a couple summers back, I tried a Merlot that used to be a Chardonnay, which got a little bit complicated. I like wine, not the label. This was season one, Honeymoon.
1: Great advice. I work with a lot of non-binary, sexually fluid individuals in the clinic I run, and this is a great way to describe it, you know. Oftentimes we think of like LGBTQ and those are distinct, discrete categories, but uh, sexual orientation, gender identity is a fluid process And I'm trying not to conflate those two, but oftentimes there's a lot of connection, right? Because he's referring to his sexual orientation in terms of, you know, what he's attracted to. I love that phrase. I like the wine, not the label. And I wish everyone would see humans that way, would experience their own sexual orientation in that way, because then it allows for so much greater flexibility for other people out there. And for ourselves, when we put ourselves into discreet, I only drink red wine, I only drink white wine, it can create problematic issues. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to also enjoy white wine or rosé, but it's more important to like the wine you're drinking, not necessarily the label or the, or the, the bottle it's served in. So mm. really good advice. This is one of my favorite quotes from the show.
0: I agree woods
2: yeah i agree i think part of what the show has done so beautifully is really enhance the representation of what we see on tv in terms of what a family can look like but also what romantic relationships can look like and people get to watch the show and see themselves represented in it even if off the first glance you would identify with none of these people. They've done such a beautiful job normalizing so much about what healthy relationships can look like and how we should be kind to people and accept people. Part of what was really hard for me in watching the first few seasons of the show was that I constantly was afraid that at some point the bottom would fall out right. and this community or this family wouldn't be as kind and accepting and it would, it would turn into kind of what is these usual narratives about people in same-sex relationships, for example, being kind of up against it and having all of this trauma and tragedy befall them and kind of being resilient in the face of it, which can also be true for people. But this show has done such an incredible job of giving voice to other kinds of lives that we could be living and supporting these kinds of communities.
0: Good advice. Mm -hmm. So
2: the next one is about being a good boyfriend. He told me he doesn't want my help, so I'm
0: just going to play the supportive partner and watch him fail. David... Season five, housewarming. Good or bad advice?
1: I think this is good advice. You know, he's, it's, you know, I think David's being dramatic in that I'm going to watch him fail. But he's just saying, hey, this is a point of disagreement but I'm not going to make that that's like the end of the relationship. I'm still going to be here and I'm still going to be supportive. And I think we know from a lot of research in couples and couples therapy that providing support is key to strengthening a relationship. So even if you don't agree with what your partner's doing necessarily, you can still provide emotional support even though they might fail. And not that you'll come back and say, I told you so, that would make this bad advice. (laughs) But being uh, supportive to your partner, even when you may not necessarily agree Okay. I think is good advice.
0: Yes, and if I remember correctly, Patrick did not fail. He pulled off the housewarming. Yep. Sarah, good or bad advice?
2: Yeah, I agree. Okay, good, good advice. I think I thought for sure that Jacob was going to reference differentiation <laughs> <laughs> and this idea that we don't need to let our partner's anxiety overwhelm us either. That if there's multiple different kinds of ways to support them, and we don't need to move in just because it makes us uncomfortable if they've asked for some space. He did. He did not reference it. So because I'm becoming more differentiated
1: to. from differentiation. Gosh,
2: Nick, good for you. <laughs> so happy. Healthy. How meta. so healthy. How. Meta.
0: Oh. <laughs> so good advice. Next one importance of communication. John, how is I to know you were in peril? You keep everything inside like a bashful little clam. Moira Rose. Season five, The Hike. Good or bad advice?
1: I'm going to say, oh, I'm kind of on the fence about this one, but let me explain it. And then maybe I'll talk myself through which where I want to land. Okay. Okay. I do think that it's important, like that we need to take responsibility in relationships when we need somebody to talk about it, to reach for it, to ask for it, but not everybody is capable of doing that all the time. And being an emotionally attuned partner means that you can recognize when your partner is struggling and reach out and say, hey, can I talk to you? Is there something I can do for you? So I'm gonna land squarely on the fence on this one that it's it's kind of like this reciprocal process. There's gonna be times when we need to reach out and ask for stuff. And there's also times when as a partner, we need to be sensitive and attuned and realize that we may try need to anticipate or say what our partner, or kind of think about what our partner needs and then ask them if that's what they need. So for that reason, I'm on the fence. Okay,
2: fence sitter, Woods. I agree with Jacob's reasoning. I think that would mean I would lean towards. This is probably good advice. I think it's probably really important to be communicating when we're struggling to the people that we are connected to. They're not going to necessarily know. I do agree with Jacob's description that it's important to be also attuned as much as possible and check in with people when we think that they're not doing well. I think it can also be really helpful to try to reframe for ourselves when we are frustrated with somebody that we are connected to, when we suspect, sense that they're irritable if we can reframe them for ourselves to think about "Uh, is there a reason they might be coming off like this or is there something else going on within reason can be a helpful reminder to check in with them and ask about whether they are currently clamming up and if there's other ways that we can support them.
0: So I think I'm going to call that one good advice within context. Okay so this one's about making dinner. Let's not ruin a meal by talking about the process. Is David's season two family dinner. Good or bad advice?
1: Yeah, I'm gonna say good advice. The reason why I think this is good advice is because sometimes it's important to talk about process. Sometimes it's important to reflect on why things went well and why things didn't go well, but maybe not during the time that it's going on. Sometimes you can ruin it by nitpicking the process, thinking about what's going on and not be present for the experience. So I would say that talking about when and how we talk about things is important, and not only is like choosing the timing of the conversation is as important to as how you have that conversation. So David, in this one, I'm going to say good advice. Good advice.
0: Yeah, I like I like that a lot because you know therapists people think that it's all about like communication, 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 but it's also about the timing of that communication, and you don't always have to talk about process. But I'm on pins and needles. Woods, good or bad
2: bad advice? I really, really like that frame. I think it's a really nice frame to think about how important timing is. I think you're right. It's something that we focus on less, especially in regards to communication, that it's not always necessary to be talking about. So in that frame, I would say good advice. My initial reaction was to say that it's it's bad advice, that it's not mutually exclusive. We aren't going to necessarily ruin our time together by talking more about process. I think that's something that we do a lot less of in relationships than we try to promote doing in therapy. In relational therapy is a, almost entirely focused on process and how we're connecting to each other rather than the mm-hmm. content of what we're communicating about. So my initial reaction was, bad advice. But if we're using the frame about thinking about timing and how to be intentional, then I'm with Jacob.
0: Oh my, what? Jacob brought her around. What? 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 good advice I wish I had a I wish I had a chime that like every time you guys agree it's like last but certainly not least this is on love I want you to know John that you are the most important thing in this world to me you know that don't you and I include Caroline in that and I've had that wig for 40 years Moira (laughs) season 5 the hike good or bad
1: advice yeah I'm gonna say good advice That's because I think it's important to tell your partner, your other family members, those people who are closest to you, that you value them, that those that, you know, sometimes you think, oh, well, people don't need to hear it, right? Or they just have a specific love language. We talked about that on this show too. And I don't, I think people do need to hear it. I think actions matter, but words also matter. So being able to tell the people that are important to you, that they are important to you is a important relationship skill that if you don't have, I think you should develop. And I think Moira in her own way is doing just that in this. So I say good advice. Good advice.
0: Woods.
2: I agree. I'm not sure I even hear this as advice, but I think it's such a delightful example of really kind of communicating very clearly how much she cares about her husband and I agree with Jacob it's something we probably don't do enough of in our relationships and for some people can feel really risky especially when we're talking about non-romantic relationships like extended family or friendships and there's lots of nuance and lots of ways that that can get complicated but I agree with Jacob that it would be probably something to be really brave and courageous about if that's something that makes you nervous and uncomfortable it can be really powerful to share with people how important they are to you
0: yes i love it and on that note our final parting words for season one tell your loved ones or those you care about that you do in fact love them and that you do in fact care about them thank you for listening to attached remember call us email us or tweet us about any relationship advice you've received that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on cannot wait to talk about it.